You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Island. I've got Justin Davies with me. G'day Justin, glad you could join us on the island. Great to be here Tony, it was fantastic, I mean I was just talking, you were just chatting before about you know our connection, how far we go back, it's fantastic to connect again. Good, good. Justin, on Max's Island we like to have people to tell a story about that time in their life where something happened that was a little different, perhaps they made a decision to do something against the grain, or just decided to do what they wanted to do. Sometimes that relates to a career change or just a life change. So what's your story? Well, um, you know, as you know, I worked in the advertising industry. I was lucky enough to try and follow in your very big boots when you left, uh, when you left JMG. And, uh, um, just be careful, mate. That's... Uh, 30-plus years ago. Shh, <laughs> shh. Um, but, but, I mean, you know, that was, you know, for me that was, a, that was a, a big opportunity and I was, you know, that was something for me to aspire to. And I think I worked pretty bloody hard in, in you know, that time moving. That was a bit of a change for me, certainly a bit of a step up and then I worked there for a period of time and then went to another agency and I really got used to that advertising agency kind of... Uh, flavour of things so I felt like I really knew what I was doing understood it all could see a career path there and, and all the rest of it I sat down with a guy by the name of Larry Quick and I remember sitting in his Nissan patrol in the middle of winter just before we we're about to go into a breakfast meeting and he started talking about the internet and what that would be and I was just about to go to move to an agency called Stratagem which was one of, one of the I think we were about top four or five in, in Perth at that time and he started talking about the internet and opportunities of size of football ovals and a whole bunch of things. And I was about to go in and, you know, talk about, you know, print ads and newspapers and all that traditional stuff. So it started me thinking and it started a, 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 a bit of a point of change for me. That's really interesting because there'd be a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who actually don't even think about what it was like in the pre-internet days and when everything was... Just print, newspapers, radio, TV in the traditional sense and that was all. And the internet didn't even exist. And yeah. so um, it's interesting that for you that was a pivotal moment. Well, if I go sort of a little, step a little bit further, I think that, 
you know, that was a sort of a starting point that opened my eyes a little bit to think a little, try and think a little bit differently. So we're talking, you know, 94, somewhere in 94, yep, 95, somewhere right. about there. Yeah. And so then I got involved with, I joined a thing called Amargo Multimedia Centre, which was a initially government-run agency to try and foster new media and new technologies in this space back in, in that time frame, which was interesting and different. I was, got involved as a director, didn't really know particularly what I was doing, if I'm honest. I tried hard. Um, and then um, as a part of that, I convinced my fellow board members that I should go to a thing called the World Ecom Conference in 1999, right? And that was a buzzword, and uh, I remember going along to that, and I remember thinking, I just have a feeling there's a big opportunity here somewhere. I don't know where it is, but my eyes are going to be open, and when it turns up, I'm going to grab it. And so the final day of the conference, I'm sitting next to a guy from the UK, and he turned to me and he goes, have you got a minute? And I went, ah, oh, this is it. And we went and found... You know, back, you remember back when you used to, you know, you'd go to like almost like an internet kiosk yes. to try and find some awful like, you know, 286 computer that connects to the <laughs> right? And it was just slows it in. And he was trying to demo some of the stuff that, that those guys were doing. This was back in 1999. And I just went, wow, this is so far in front of the market. And I went, I, and he said, do you want to do this? Do you want to set this up in Australia? And I went, I can't not do it. So he had come from the UK to this conference? Yeah, he'd and, flown and from he'd flown from he lived in Cheshire in in the UK and they had a, an office in sunny Stockport. Which, if you've got any listeners that have been anywhere near Stockport, they know that sunny and Stockport are two words that don't go together, right? Okay. So that's really interesting that he picked you yeah. and started the conversation. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it was. I was just you know I think uh, I was interested. I was in, like you had the head of tech from British Airways there. And so what would happen is morning tea would happen and everybody would file out and I'd run straight up to the presenters and ask them like as many questions as I possibly could. Because that's what you do, you take advantage of the opportunity that's, that's there. And so I, and so, you know, he just said to me, I've heard you ask questions and I've seen what you've done in terms of engaging with these speakers and whatever you hear. I reckon, I reckon, you know, we could do something together. So that started some backwards and forwards, and then um, I ended up resigning from Stratagem, I think, in about February of, uh, of uh, 2000, and then we opened up KMP, uh, kmpinternet.com, as it was, it was uh, called then, and then four weeks later, we had the tech wreck. Wow, good timing. Oh, just impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, I opened Emergination in 2008. So, Tony, if you ever hear me talking about some great big business opportunity, pull everything back to you cash. You know the market's going to crash. Pull everything back to cash. <laughs> so, there's a tech wreck. How do you survive? Oh, man. Um, I th let, let me, if you don't mind, I might just go back a little bit of the start of where we got to. So... You know, because you're talking about the journey. So Bill would come out every 90 days and we would go selling, right? And believe it or not, in the ad agency, I actually hadn't done a lot of selling. In my early career, I'd uh, done business-to-business -business sales, I'd done my marketing degree, went to selling first off. I thought if you can't sell anything, you can't market, right? So, um, but with the ad agency, we hadn't done much. And so we'd had a few big clients and that kept us busy and that was it, but we hadn't done a lot of BD. 
So here I was trying to start a business from scratch and try and, you know, get all that to go, trying to sell something I didn't really understand. All right. So we would go out pitching and we would, um, one day I think we did 14 different meetings. Wow. And I was just, by the time we finished, well, I was just dead, absolutely dead. I think the first one was like seven in the morning and like eight o'clock at night we finished, you know, it was just unbelievable. And what sort of businesses were you pitching at? Size Anything. Oh, just kind of anything. Yeah. I mean, it was absolute total shotgun theory. <laughs> so, so, and, uh, yeah, so I learnt, I learnt uh, an awful lot of stuff and the, one of the things I found... Um, was it was like selling in shifting sands because everything was changing. So Bill would come out three months later and the whole sales pitch had changed. And I'm just going, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, you know, I'm sitting here and I'd listen to the... and try and know sagely and wisely in some of these meetings, right, and see if I can get away with it. And, um, yeah, it was just everything was changing all the time. And then after a while I went, ah, oh, I see what's going on. Bill's taking whatever happened in the last meeting adding something on, and that became part of the new story that we were weaving. And I went, oh, I've got it. I've got it now. I can do this. And so it was... Um, I referred to it as walking on water, which has got no religious connotation. It was really about the shifting... that shifting motion between your feet and keeping an eye on the lighthouse and keeping keeping moving forward. It was really interesting. Keeping off the rocks. Yeah, trying to, as best as you can. And were you having much success, getting much traction? Oh, mate, it was tough, right, because... Um, Y2K had eaten up so much in terms of budgets. Yes. And so people said, we know what IT is and we know what e-commerce is and we know what e-business is and it's probably quite good but we don't want to spend a cent on anything. And so progressively what happened is as things got tighter and tighter and tighter. It just was getting harder and harder. I think, you know, I was getting better in terms of understanding what I needed to do but by the time, you know, 12 months later came, you know, we're kind of getting to break even... Now, I had a sales pipeline of a half million bucks and it evaporated overnight. It was, it was, and you know, the ridiculous stuff that happens, you know, like I was where I was in the terrace, uh, we were at, at 220 St George's and the building next to us, a whole bunch of people lost their jobs. Like in one week, a thousand people in IT lost their jobs. And so you start having a lot of irrational thoughts. You know, mm. is this part of the terrorist jinxed? Yeah. You know, all this kind of stuff. So it was it was a pretty scary time. So what happened then? Well, uh, we got to the point where, you know, because it was much worse in the UK. So yep. we'd kind of got, we'd kind of get in a break even, but part of that break even was us doing some work for the UK. And then they were going, look, we can't support you anymore. So if you're in a situation where you've got to, you know, do the appropriate thing and withdraw from the market, you're going to have to do that. So that was the decision we ended up taking. So withdrew from the market. I then had to manage that that process. So I missed out on I don't know, twenty grand or something out of out of that, and um, you know couldn't work for three months while I was sorting all of that out and sort of shutting everything down. And then I went back to the ad agency for for on a part time basis, which was interesting. And, you know, they were in the same situation. I came in one day and everybody's in the boardroom with their heads in their hands. You know, going, uh, we're, we're done. We're so done. did you go back to the agency with Part, yeah. the digital, this new uh, internet space? I was uh, doing knowledge. both. I was basically, yeah. basically trying to go, let's go hunt, see if we can hunt you some clients down because I'd picked up some different kind of sales skills through what I'd been doing. So let's go hunt some clients and see if we can go and do some stuff for them. And anything that's digital, I want. So that was kind of the, the, the model, and I just 
So anything that was digital I was going to get and anything else we could find. But the reality is by the time we got there, they'd run out of runway. And so it was it was a really tough time. You know, and see people that you, you know, really cared about going through some some real pain. So um, it was interesting. I suppose if I go back a little bit, if I can hit the mm. rewind button a bit, a few of the things that were interesting with, with KMP, because there was there were so many lessons out of that. You know, the KMP story and my and my association with Bill Daring was really changing for me, really changing. I mean, there's nothing, mate, there's nothing like somebody who holds you to a standard way above what you think you can deliver. It's just, you know, it's just awesome. And he did that. But he also had that ability to kick you in the backside when you needed it, you know. And he just knew somehow how to reach through um, reach through the phone from the other side of the world and go, I know where you're at and here's what you need to do now. So was do you think he was a, a good salesperson or a good leader? Oh, he was, he was, he was one of those unusual guys that you come across and, you know, we were, you and I were talking about one of these types of guys the other week, right? Um, he's one of these guys that's good at everything, was good at everything. He's not with us anymore, so sadly, but um, he, could, he could sell, he could market, he could negotiate, you know, he was fantastic at seeing where technology was going and being able to predict it. He was a wonderful speaker, you know, he... Um, you know, he lectured, he was just an incredible guy. You know, I was really very, very lucky to have the opportunity to work for him. He'd have a bit of a temper and all that kind of stuff too. But yeah, he was just, you know, just an amazing guy. So lucky to have the opportunity to, to know him for as long as I did. Do you think that was a really critical and pivotal time in your career? Oh, no question. No question. Because we did a lot of interesting things. I mean, you look at, you look at the tech startup community you see now, I mean, we're sitting in you know, part of Space Cubed, which has been a, you know, just an incredible catalyst for tech and startups and, um, you know, and so much innovation in Western Australia. Well, we did a thing called E2B back in, you know, 2000, which we launched um, from in uh, what we called Independence from America Day. <laughs> uh, and so we, you know, what we were trying to do was trying to bring startups and venture capital and entrepreneurs together and have a forum for that. And we were the only thing back then. There was just nothing, you know, and so you'd have you'd have the entrepreneurs turn up and it was kind of like, these are the only people in the world that get us, you know? And so that was, that was really interesting, you know, hosting that and, and um, uh, pulling that together with a, a couple other colleagues of mine, one of whom I've just started doing some work with again today after all of this time, you know? So it was really quite, quite incredible. You know, we had, we were looking at our very first event. I remember we were going to do that at, at His Majesty's. Uh, in an area called the bar at that stage and we thought we were really excited about it and we thought right we've, we've got enough people to fill this up you know we've got 20 registrations that should that, that's really cool and that was the Friday and on the Monday we got together and went what the hell happened we've got 120 people coming now and then his majesty's rang us up and said oh you can't have that room anymore and we go well look we've got this area upstairs like I hope you don't mind but it's like three times the size and we said, well, that was well, convenient. <laughs> well, we didn't say anything, <laughs> did we? And so, well, if we can have it for the same money, yeah, we'll do it reluctantly. Um, yeah, filled it. It was just, but I mean, that was again, you know, we were we were funding that and, and having a crack at that. So we just we're just having a go at different stuff, and that that I think was was exciting. There was just so much change. So what time? What 
period are we talking now? We're we're talking, you know, May two thousand. Still early two thousand. Early yeah. two thousand. Yeah. So that ended up running for about three, four years. That that event. So which was really good. But yeah, it was interesting stuff. You know, today the entrepreneur venture capital space is so much well organised now. Yeah. And not only in Australia but across the world and, and, and linking, you know, into Australia to Perth from a, from internationally, whereas back then it would have been so different. Our website was 200 grand mm. for something you can now do for, you know, a couple of grand on WordPress, right? Yeah. You know, it was just, it was just a totally different world. I remember when I joined what was then called Sferion, which then became Ross Logic, which then became Ross Consulting. Um, we built a, like a content management system for for Tourism WA. I was like two million dollar project, you know, and and a half a million dollar support annually and all this kind of. Yeah. On. So yeah, it was it was really interesting. It kind of pushed me into some areas that were uh, quite different and quite out of my comfort zone. And I, I remember talking to Bill. And I said, "Do you really know your stuff around tech?" And he goes, "I don't really. I just know which words to put together." Then I roll my hands, lean forward, and act confident. And so, you know, he said, try this kind of, you know, phrasing. So I was sitting down with a guy who was the IBM partner manager. And I said, you know, uh, g'day, how are you going? Great to see you. Um, you know, we're KMP Internet. We, uh, we are currently developing on Lotus Learning Space on Notes and Domino platforms using WebSphere as the, you know, the web server, IBM Net Generation Partners, we're now in Western Australia, we've just done a million pound project for Manchester airports, we want to know what you can do for us. I didn't really know any of those words, what any of them meant, right? <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there and the guy from IBM has sat just back in his seat and I've gone, oh, I'm going to get found out, right? <laughs> and what he said was, oh, you guys are so in front of the market. Like, this is... <laughs> so my job then was to try not to laugh while I was trying to get him into the lift and dead out of the building. So, yeah, it was just, it was just a, different, a different kind of um, process which changed me a lot, you know, I think was uh, a lot of learning went through there. So when you say it changed you from a, not only probably a professional point of view, but what about, you know, personal confidence, uh, ability to... Um, you know, fake it till you made it, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think there was um, definitely the personal confidence stuff. I think that that, you know, as I said, you know, when somebody really truly believes in you, that steps you up a another level because you go, oh, clearly must be capable of more than what I'm doing now. Uh, I do think that, you know, this idea of confidence and mindset is just a recurring theme that keeps coming up through, you know, every single year of it, anything to do with, with business. It's just, it's a... It's a thing that keeps coming up and you see why so many people in sport talk about sport analogies, um, and, you know, and how that relates to, to business. I think mindset's critical. You know, as a, as a business owner, and I know the, you know the work you've done in the past, Tony, there is chatter going on in your head all the time, all the time. And so you often think you're the only sort of person that goes through that, but every owner's got the same stuff going on. You know, they're a smart bunch of people trying to do so much across such a breadth uh, and it's a real interesting challenge to to get the focus right, to then manage the energy around that and to really then make sure that you're heading in the right direction, um, doing less but doing it better. Since when have you been 
operating on your own or in your current business and how much was that influenced by this period in your life? I think um, I, about 2008, I jumped out into doing my own thing and I really wanted to try and pick up everything I'd studied and learned and experienced and try to help others with, with that. I didn't quite know what I was going to do and where, but I just thought, oh, there'll be some opportunities to present. So I ended up doing some commercialisation work for Curtin University on a, on a couple of different projects with some wonderful people there, which was, again, interesting, challenging and quite a different stretch again. Um, so, that, so that was good fun. I did a bunch of digital stuff. I did some, you know, went back to did some marketing stuff, did all sorts of different things. So I had patches where it was tough. I had a client that I sacked and the timing wasn't great because that was sort of 2008. And I remember looking in the abyss and going, oh my God, I've just left a really great, you know, six-figure job and now I'm not sure I can meet the mortgage payment, <laughs> this kind of thing. Sure. And so, but I do think that sometimes if you want to get change, you've got to burn the boats and, and make some change. So I didn't have any choice but to pick myself up by, you know, bootstraps and, and um, I then, within two months, I think I'd had my, you know, two or three months I'd have my biggest turnover month by a factor of three. So, you know, sometimes forcing that change upon yourself is a, a good thing to do. At what point did you feel comfortable or do you feel still comfortable? That's a really good question. I felt very, un well, very uncomfortable for a while. Uh, I think when I had those couple of projects going on, I was getting, you know, some good feedback on that and the money was coming in, I started to feel more comfortable. I don't think I ever felt truly comfortable, but I, I certainly felt more comfortable. And I mean, you, even you go back a few years now when you know our economy was pretty bleak. Yep. You know, I started going, oh, this is this is awful. Maybe I should go and get a gig for a while. You know, and and every time I've done that, like I open up LinkedIn or I open up Seek, every single time I do that, I look at a couple of jobs, an email will come through and go, oh, Justin, can you help us out with something? Universe coach telling me, Justin, you can't do that. You just can't work for someone anymore, you know. So I think I'm probably more comfortable now than I have been in a very long time. But it's, it is one of those challenging, challenging things. I think I was able to stop worrying about money, though, probably a year or two in, you know, because I found that I was earning most of the salary, if not more of the salary that I had um, when I was working for someone else. And because you had a bunch of clients, you know, if, if one stopped for any reason, if they had something going on and they had to stop, well, I had other clients, so it wasn't a big deal. And it was just, you know, well, I'll go and get another one, it's fine. I'm already interested in people who are working very hard in an environment that's changing rapidly, so they're having to be mentally challenged as well as physically challenged because you're you know, needing to, you know, burn the midnight oil and, and really put the effort in. What did you do personally to get some white space, to create some of that time for yourself? Yeah. And was there a hobby that you did or was there something else that occupied your creative mind that allowed you to sort of butter up the next day in a business sense? Well, you know, we both share a great passion of golf and uh, I grew up in the country. So for me, playing golf got me closer back to bush and that's calming. Um, if you're having a real bad day on the golf course, though, it, it doesn't <laughs> help, you know. But, but um, uh, I found that the, 
you know, just going and the, the joy of going and hitting a butter, bucket of balls or chipping or whatever and just going, all I have to focus on, I've got a little white ball and I stick it in that little hole over there and that's all I've got to do for the next half an hour or so and, you know, catch up with some mates and some of those sorts of things. It's just, I found that fantastic. The other thing is, um, is music, you know, guitar. So I, when I was 16, I got really stuck into rock and roll and, you know, wanted to be on Countdown as we all did back in the day, right? And so I actually tried to get into the Conservatorium of Music when I was 19. So I practiced like hell and drove up from Donnybrook. So it was like a three hour trek, parked in the Mount Lawley car park, got there nice and early, had my guitar on the back deck, which was glass, right? So glass window. On the back deck of the car, and, yeah, yep. and sleeker. Went to do my audition and the nut on my guitar had melted. <laughs> and the strings are just sitting on the fretboard. And the song I'm trying to play is where I can open blues number, right? And so the strings are just sitting there, you go back, you know, sort of awful noise. And I just went... And the reason I... The, my attitude to that audition was, I'm either meant to do business or I'm meant to do music. And if I get into the auditorium, I'm meant to do music. All right? If I don't, I'm meant to do business. And what was the real answer? I was meant to do both. You know, so the Blockchain Blues Band, check us out. Blockchain and blues band. band. Because, you know, a blues band, everything's better with blockchain, right? Yeah, right. You know, if you're into tech, everything's better with blockchain. A blues band should be as well. I really do have a strong theory about the value of having your emotions evoked by music and other things like that. Do you get that feeling when you're playing your, your guitar that you can separate yourself from um, perhaps the pressures of work and go to a, using a creative space in, in, in your mind that uh, allows you to freshen up? Absolutely. I think what it does, it just creates a different buzz. If I go back to my sort of 24-year-old self, I was still trying to work out who the hell I was, fill your bloody big boots, you know, which was damn hard, um, and all of those sorts of things, and trying to work out who I was trying to be. I think um, the older you get, the more inclined you are to go, Look, I'm just me, and you either like that or you don't like it, and, and I'm actually cool with it. And so for me, I, I think this notion of separating yourself, wherever you go, your stuff is with you. And then you've got to work out how do you be comfortable with that. Mm. So I th I'm a real big believer, you know, COVID's been interesting, you know, I'm a real big believer in great habits. You know, get up, go for a walk. If you haven't read Atomic Habits, read it. It's brilliant. Um, you know, listen to good podcasts, get good stuff in your brain, you know, meditation, journal, all of those things are really important. To answer your question though, music takes me somewhere different. It really taps into me emotionally and uh, it, it does give me something, you know, something different and just a different kind of absolute joy. It's just the best fun and I'm, I've never been more excited about it as I am now. I'm practicing like anything, you know, so, uh, so yeah, it's just, it's just the best fun. It's just the best fun. Justin, it's been great to have you on the island. I've got one question. Where do you think you would be if that guy Bill hadn't sat next to you at that conference? Or does it really matter? Well, that's a good question, Tony. Um, yeah, Bill was such a catalyst to change for me. I think I would have bumped into other people and I hope that if I was, was winding the clock back, there was just a different opportunity to present. I think, I think, you know, the idea of the question that you ask is, is those moments, I think those moments when your eyes are open 
when you deliberately go like that conference, I went, my eyes are open to opportunity here. I am ready for this opportunity. It will present and I'll find it. And that's the thing like goal setting. When you are really explicit and you can clearly see what it is you want and when you've got that jotted down, I think what happens is the universe somehow provides a way to help you find it. What is it? Is your subconscious mind just working better? Probably. You know, but I think when you've got that clarity, then the right things turn up. You know, there's so many... Uh, I, I'm, I'm very lucky to know so many great people in, in business and, um, uh, you know, people I've worked with, you know, people I play music with. There's, there's so many really, really cool people that I know. Something else would have turned up. I think that's a, a great answer. We like to sit on the beach here at Max's Island and contemplate those sorts of things because talking to so many of our guests, it is about being alert and open to those opportunities and trusting your intuition, trusting your experience to pick the ones that are going to make it work for you. So thanks, Justin, for being on the island. Absolute joy. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'll uh, come again. Spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, all work and no play. And how, how it had turned out this way. He told me his plan a short term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulmun track. Go it alone. Since was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky.